Chapter 25 The conference room had no windows. The walls, ceiling and floor were white and unadorned. Four rows of recessed lighting ran the length of the ceiling, leaving no shadows, no corner untouched by bright white light. People sat on a strange variety of objects arranged seemingly at random, a cooler, a stump, a tall stool, a bale of hay. The characteristics of the objects were exaggerated by the uniform, antiseptic nature of the room. According to Hugo, the seating arrangement was a symbol, a reminder that grace in decision-making was achieved by understanding the ecology of perspectives. Hugo sat on a small boulder. Judith sat on a sawhorse. And I sat in a green tweed recliner that smelled like cigarette smoke and had grease stains and exposed stuffing. When the boy with the basket of phones reached inside and closed the door, I estimated around 30 people had filed into the room. The unorthodox seats were spaced far enough apart that I didn't feel too cramped. Everyone chatted and laughed as they settled into their chosen places. Then a man on the outskirts of the group stood up and yelled, Are you kidding me? I looked over. It was Kayak Brad. He wore a fitted t-shirt, a flat-brim hat, and sweatpants with a keychain lanyard hanging out of one pocket. Who the hell was responsible for the seating tonight? A stocky, middle-aged man sitting near me on an upturned trash can said, My son-in-law Barry. Why? This stump is waterlogged. Now my ass is all wet. Maybe a wet ass is just what you need Brad, the man said. A few people chuckled. Brad flipped the man off. Tell Barry he's trying too hard. Barry's doing a fine job, the man said. I whispered to Hugo, where's Kalia? He pointed to a woman on Brad's right, and for a moment I didn't recognize her. No wonder I hadn't seen her enter. She wore a turn-of-the-century woman's hat with white lace hanging down over her face. Even through the lace, I could see bags under her eyes. She wore a frilly old dress that made her look thinner than she was. Though she held her head up, she looked down at her lap, avoiding all eye contact. Hugo pointed to another woman on Brad's left, sitting on a coffee table, looking up at Brad with a reverent smile on her face. That's Meadow Brad's bond. Stay away from her if you can. She's insane. I couldn't keep my eyes off Kalia. I wanted to send her a signal somehow that I was on her side, that what I was about to do was for her, that I didn't mean any of it. But she wouldn't look up. The lights turned off and on. A few seconds later all the conversations died down. And from somewhere behind me, a man with a voice that sounded electronically altered to have an echo said, Good evening everybody. I'm glad you could all make it. We've got a lot on our plate tonight so let's just get started, shall we? I swiveled my chair around, craned my neck and saw over someone's shoulder that the person speaking was not a man, but a petite woman in her sixties with short gray hair, wearing a white button-up collarless shirt, black vest and orange scarf. It was Nancy. Her voice not only sounded like a man's but it had layers underneath it, like she was harmonizing with herself live and without equipment. What's with her voice? I whispered to Hugo. She's an Arashinika. She can channel several ghosts at once. The first item on the agenda concerned the open positions at the lodge. Our nabob of maintenance had died two months ago, but no one had shown a willingness to replace her. 
The Prime Nabob scolded everyone for their apparent disdain for the position and their reluctance to encourage family members to apply for it. The work was not mundane and banal, as many ignorantly assumed. It actually provided plenty of opportunities for personal fulfillment and creative expression. Also due to the unknown and unresolved nature of the recent murders, volunteers and private entities were still required to fulfill the duties of baker, babysitter, assistant to our nabob of recreation, and administrative assistant for our liaison to the Mendine. Hugo pointed out our nabob of history to me, an older woman in a flower-print dress who was charged with making whorls and totems of the conference for posterity, which she achieved by tapping her foot against a spiked object called a quick, as Hugo had done earlier. It was a way of manufacturing whorls when there wasn't enough pain present to imprint one in the cackle organically. She also fondled a necklace of engraved wooden meatball-sized beads like it was a rosary. Each bead would serve as a totem, like minutes. Between items on the agenda, the lights turned on and off, and everyone stood up and found another seat. Nancy not only changed her seat, but she also changed her voice and mannerisms, like someone with multiple personalities. I was perched on a cinder block when Nancy's dominant voice belonged to a lifelong smoker, and our nabob of events submitted her budget for the Knights of Arawak. My butt was squeezed between the lower rungs of an A-frame ladder as people took turns giving their opinions on whether or not the children should have more night classes, and Nancy listened, hunched over, scowling with her knees spread apart like a trucker's and her hands on her hips. Nearly an hour had passed, and I was across the room from Kalia and Hugo, sitting on a tire when Nancy focused in on me. Her dominant voice now belonged to a little girl. I understand our nabob of cosmic digestion has brought his sister's new shaka, Charlie Allison, whom we finally get to meet. She leaned into my line of sight and smiled at me. I hope he's not experiencing too much culture shock. I urge everyone to be sympathetic to his circumstances. Remember, he was not raised Mobiac. That being said, he does hold an important position at this lodge, so he must be approved. Although I'm confident in our marshal's ability to bring him up to speed, I realize that some of you may have concerns. However, before we get to them, I remind you that under our law, a marshal has the right to appoint deputies to pick up the slack, and Miss Kalia is certainly capable of that. So in short, I have all the confidence that our marshal is fulfilling her duties. But if anyone has concerns, I will consider them now. Though I was nervous, I had trouble taking Nancy seriously. Her words were very reasonable, very adult, but her voice was that of a little girl who had been possessed by demons. And everyone seemed unaffected by it, like this was all normal, like they weren't sitting on garbage some guy named Barry had stolen from the dump. The whole thing was absurd. And Nancy was pretending like she hadn't been chasing Collier and me through the county the last three days. Was this a charade for the rest of the lodge? It had to be. Kayak Brad opened his mouth, the nabob of public affairs wishes to speak. Go ahead, Nancy said. I have some concerns, Brad said. And I know I'm not the only one. The difference is, I'll say it to your face. This is just bogus, okay? We're going through all the items on the agenda like we don't know the real reason we're all here. Our marshal is on trial for murder. Multiple murders. Let's get to the meat already. Let's stop pretending. Do not disrespect the process, Nancy snapped.
Do not think that I will not reprimand you because you are my son. You are not my son in this room. Do you understand? Yes, Prime Nabob. Now that that is clear, there is truth in what you say. We are all here to preside over the trial of our marshal, Collier Sinclair, who stands accused of the murder of Diane Salazar, along with Jane Guy, our previous Prime Nabob. Nancy paused for the gasps and muttering to die down before continuing. Our Nabob of Public Affairs, a little overzealous though he is, will be prosecuting the trial. You may begin. Brad nodded at his mom. Thank you. Now. Our marshal was a great warrior. I'll give her that. And we're all grateful for her service, but something went wrong somewhere because man she just lost it. And I got the evidence to prove it. She stands accused of murdering Jane Guy and her own shaka, her own shaka, Diane Salazar. I mean come on. And I don't know if you all remember, but not long ago, she was asking everybody she could find all kinds of crazy, accusatory questions. Turns out she should have been looking at herself. Glasshouses, right? Glasshouses. Kalia did not raise her eyes. It was like she was drugged. Brad jabbered on, the second law of the cackle says, the cackle of the slain will haunt the cackle of the slayer for all time. I ask, has anyone seen anyone haunted by the cackle of the Sinclair line? No. No one has. That's because Kalia procured Lymphid Cackle to do her dirty deeds, Lymphid Cackle from a previously unknown Lymphid, who she then murdered to cover her tracks. The people who saw the body said it was like an animal got to it. An animal? This is our marshal. And we have the whorls to prove it. Don't worry about that. Brad paused to survey the room in dramatic fashion, then held up two fingers sideways above his head. I'm fitting to drop two bombs on this conference, and I'm fitting to do it right now. He pointed at me, and we locked eyes. First bomb, I know this guy. I know Kalia Sinclair's new shaka from the business world. He's as crooked as they come. Just a sleazy operator. Everyone in the business community says so too. That's a lie. I blurted out, unable to contain my hatred for the guy. Brad held out his palms, raised his shoulders, turned to his mom and in a whiny voice said, Prime Nabob, I have the floor. Mr. Allison, the Prime Nabob said, I know you're new but we do not interrupt testimony unless the floor is open for debate, and even then it has to be approved ahead of time. Is that clear? I gritted my teeth and nodded. Anyways, Brad said. I know this dude so when I saw him out and about with our marshal, I started thinking. What's going on here? Is he her new shaka? I know he's not a member of our lodge. So I called around. And guess what? His mom is a member of the Mendocino County Lodge. Nanette Allison is her name. Now that might not sound like a bomb but wait until I drop the next one. My stomach lurched at the mention of my mom's name. Thoughts whistled and burst in my mind like fireworks. What did she have to do with their plans? Did the memorist still have her somewhere in Arampam? Would they use her to get to me? As we all know, Brad continued, the Mendocino County Lodge has been supplying us with our odolith tinctures since Neil and Erica went missing. And they've been gouging us, man. Right? So that got me thinking. Um. 
Our marshal's new Shaka has direct ties to the lodge that's benefiting the most from Neil and Erica's disappearance. And he's a known sleazebag. Maybe that's why Kalia hasn't found them yet. A few people groaned at that, and Brad pushed at the air in front of him and said, Hold on. That's what I thought at first. Crazy. But then Marshal Sinclair stopped answering her phone. Remember that. Her deputy said she was busy, but that didn't satisfy me. I went to her house. And guess what? I discovered some pretty gnarly stuff there, about what's been going on in our county. That's why I endowed my whorls to my Shanika, who then submitted them to our prime nabob of judgment and sentencing, Dave, and he was able to create a series of oil paintings based on them. Luckily he works fast. Brad pointed to his left. Dave? Dave stood on the hay bale he'd been sitting on. He was short, with narrow eyes and an unkempt beard. His work pants and flannel shirt were stained with various colors of dried paint. He held up a two-by-three-foot painting of a nightmarish version of a house, with skewed angles and perspectives, exaggerated features and dark hues. Dave spun with the painting so everyone could see. Brad said, this is at Marshall Sinclair's house. I don't think it really portrays my mood accurately at the time, but that's okay. Unacceptable, Dave said and shot Brad a dirty look. You are to provide context, not ungraceful critiques. If you don't understand this, you will be silent, and I will present my work naked and unshackled. Okay okay, Brad said. Calm down Dave. I got you. You're the boss. Dave put aside the painting and grabbed another from a row of canvases leaning against the hay bale. This one was of two perpendicular red stripes surrounded by splatters of blue and green paint against a white background. Kayak Brad said, this is an abstract representation of Marshall Sinclair's workshop. Brad motioned to Dave, who held up a new painting, one so lifelike I thought for a moment it was a blown-up photograph. A man dressed in boat shoes, soiled white linen slacks, and a Cuban shirt lay face up on the floor with his arms awkwardly above his head. He was framed on one side by two chairs and the other by a hope chest. The face belonged to the otolith from the painting I'd seen in the dining room, but the eyes were dead. Brad said, I'm sorry to be the one to tell everybody this, but... Neil is dead. The whole room gasped at once. A few people cried out, no. Brad spoke over the commotion. I found his body yesterday in Marshall Sinclair's workshop with three bullet holes in his chest. I didn't know who to trust, so I called the Marshal of Mendocino County, and they shot over here real quick. They found a gun in Marshall Sinclair's house that was recently fired, and missing three bullets. They found paperwork that showed the gun was registered to her, and just a few hours ago, they matched fingerprints found on the gun to the ones we have on file for Marshall Sinclair. Brad raised his voice to speak over the uproar. And that's not all dudes. I got series after series of oil paintings from witnesses proving our Marshal killed Neil and the rest of those people, putting her at the scene of all the crimes, even at the Linfords compound. And what was her motive? Greed. Sure. Yeah, it was greed. She's making a boatload off price gouging these odolith tinctures. But that's just normal greed. I'm talking about epic greed. That's what this girl has. Epic greed, the kind that can only be satisfied by war. War profiteering is what it's called, and that's her game. She's a child of war. 
Those were her glory days, and she's looking to get back on that train, and it's a money train this time. Brad snapped his fingers and pointed at the door, and a man stood and opened it. The assassin, Warren Rochester, walked inside, leading two shackled men by a chain. They were the soccer dad Zadatorians, and there were wireless headphones over their ears. I assumed they were there to make everyone think complicated harmonies were being played to keep the Zadatorians from transforming. Guess what, Brad said. We picked up these two dudes hanging around Kalia's house. And here comes the last bomb, they're Zadatorians. Shock and fear were on the faces around me. Some people looked like they were about to start sobbing. Quiet. Nancy shouted in her creepy girl's voice. Everyone, quiet down. Quiet down. That's right, Brad said. Our marshal's trying to start another war with the Zadatorians after thousands of years of peace. That's some diabolical bullstuff right there. And who's gonna have the corner on the Odalith tincture market when this war starts? She and her cronies from Mendocino, that's who. We might be a little too late to prevent the war from starting, our marshal saw to that, but me and some buddies, we've been preparing for this for years. We got a sweet spot in the hills called Arampam. We've been fortifying against just this kind of situation. It's a stronghold. We can fight the Zadatorians for years, no prob. I say we relocate the whole lodge there until this thing blows over. I'm talking no casualties if we do this, guaranteed. Hugo caught my eye by shaking his hands at me. Then he motioned for me to stand. This was what we'd talked about. He wanted me to testify against Kalia to convince Dave to sentence her to the monastery instead of Brad's custody. I stood, looked at Nancy and said, I want to speak. I second that, Hugo said. I'll allow it, Nancy said. The floor belongs to Mr. Allison. Thirty people titillated by the trial's proceedings stared at me from their strange perches. The room was quiet for the first time since Brad had started dropping bombs. I cleared my throat and let my eyes rest on Kalia, a form of self-torture. If I was going to proceed, I deserved to see the hurt in her eyes, even if I was acting in her best interests. I am Kalia's bond and I have access to all of her worlds. I know for a fact that she's in love with Brad. She murdered the Prime Nabob so that Brad's mother could take power. Kalia furrowed her brow and it felt like a blow to my chest, but I continued. She murdered her own bond, Diane Salazar, so that she and Brad could be bonded themselves. I guarantee Brad's bond was the next to be killed. The trial's attendants erupted again with gasps. Before I could go on with the rest of the remarks Hugo had prepared for me, Hugo stood up, asked Nancy for the floor, and was granted it with a quick seconding from Judith. This wasn't part of the plan. What was he doing? My sister is not to blame for her actions, Hugo began. I counted four Halamites in attendance while we were being seated. Turn to the one closest to you. Ask them to describe what they smell in the newcomer, Charlie Allison. I believe they will confirm to you what I already know to be true, and that is that Charlie Allison is a sojourner. 